Today, I would like to uh, speak with you about love since we are in February. And I figured we can put a pause on prayer for just this week and uh, talk about love and something, a question that has been coming up regularly, uh, at least in my world with the people that I talk with, is this idea of love covering many sins. We have um, a a definition of love from Scripture. As we read through Scripture, we can see that Jesus said that he who loves me obeys me, and that was not a twist of the arm. He was making a statement of fact, a factual statement. Those who love him obey him, and they don't obey him in order to love him, They obey him because they love him. And they love him because he first loved them. And so we see love is very foundational to our relationships, to a church family like ours. It is a testimony to the world. The world will know um, by the love that we have for one another that we are the children of God. However, all of that, having said all of that, it actually has to fit the biblical definition thereof. Right now, there's this major discussion going on online because Alistair Begg, a wonderful pastor, had given some really horrible counsel. And the counsel was in regards to a grandmother that came to him and said to him, honey, counsel. And the, the question is, what do I do? My grandson is marrying, getting married, and he's getting married to a transvestite. What do I do? Well, Alistair Begg said, do you, uh, have you explained to them your position, what you believe? She says, oh, absolutely. They know what we believe. He said, well, in that case, go to the wedding, bring a gift, and give it to them. And that way, you can build a bridge of love with them. Now, that is a person's opinion as to how to love, but that is not necessarily the scriptural version of how to love. You cannot compromise your way into a loving relationship. You cannot compromise your way into God, into the will of the will of God. You cannot compromise your way there. And um, there's so many discussions being had. One of them being so: if you attend, as the historical, the historical format of a wedding is for the minister to actually have witnesses, right? And there you are now being a witness to something that is actually a misnomer. There is no such thing as a marriage between the same sexes. There is no such thing. They can do whatever they want, but they cannot go and reach into scriptures and and practice marriage, which is designed by God. That is not an event. That is a scriptural event in any way. So my point, though, is just that if you want to love, you cannot love on your terms. We cannot come up with what it means to love on our terms. We can only 
learn to love on God's terms because he is the fountainhead of all truth. And the truth about love springs from him, not from how I think love ought to love or to look like or feel like. And let me tell you that God is faithful when you refuse to compromise. Somebody might say, you know, that's very hard. Uh, just so you know, my family, Tina's family, we all deal with the same thing. <laughs> it's like, we're not, I'm not suggesting something that I'm not doing. And I bet you, some of Tina's family members, if they had to fill in a form that says, who in your family is most loving toward you? Who could you truly trust? It actually would be us, not those who bow to things that are not scriptural. So, I'm not encouraging anybody to be a jerk. I'm just encouraging everybody to say, listen, I love you. And I love God more. And I couldn't love you if it wasn't because I loved God. It is the love of God in me overflowing to you that allows me to love you. Everything else is me flattering you and attempting to get something from you instead of trying to help you. So it's important for us to learn what it means that love covers a multitude of sins. Because that's what it does. That's the God kind of love. God, the fountainhead, the author, the finisher, the designer of love tells us, this is what my love is like. It covers sin. The scripture has the idea or produces or brings to us the idea of covenant. And it's, script, and it's covenantal from beginning to end. If you open up the Bible, it starts with a covenant. The Adamic covenant. And then, like I mentioned yesterday, we have the Abrahamic or the Noahic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant. All these covenants evolve, build upon each other. And then we have the Davidic covenant, and then we have the blood covenant made for us or with us on the cross, which is the ultimate covenant, which brings together all covenants before it. So what is a covenant? In order to understand love, God kind of love, we have to understand covenant. Covenant is, in fact, the strongest agreement that can be made. It's the strongest bond that can exist. That's why here on earth, we see the picture of a covenant between a husband and a wife. That is the closest relationship possible between two humans. It is a covenant relationship. So covenant is a solemn bond. God made a covenant with Noah. that He'll never again flood the earth. God made a covenant with Abraham. That'll be the father of many nations. God made a covenant with you and I. That we'll be given the right to become children of God in Christ Jesus. This is the strongest possible bond made between two people. Because in it. As expressed through the cross, one gives all he has, his entire life, 
for the sake of the one he's in covenant with. So as a covenant people, every part of our lives is built around this concept of covenant because that's who we are. We are a covenant people. Covenant made from the beginning of time. Remember now, the Bible says that Christ was crucified when? Before the foundations of the earth. That was a covenant that was made. We call it the covenant of redemption. Covenant made before humans existed between God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that Jesus, when God creates and when man falls and when all of these things which was ordained to happen, happens, Christ will come and do what they agreed to do before the foundations of the earth. And so all of these covenants <clears throat> that were made were made so that you and I could become a covenant people with God. Isn't it amazing how God's plans have always stood from eternity past to eternity future? The plans of God are not moved by Hitler. Hitler doesn't, didn't stop anything. There is no ruler on earth that could postpone the plans of God. And God's up in heaven going like, man, I was hoping Jesus would come back at that point, but now look at this. They voted this guy in. It really is laughable because I want to let you know for those who like to go down rabbit holes, is that what you call them? My question to you is, is God sovereign? He is. Is he yes? Is he sovereign or not? Yes. Is God omnipresent everywhere? That means he's sovereign also in the rabbit hole you find yourself down. <laughs> All right. So while you're going down these holes, enjoy it, knowing that he's sovereign. But for heaven's sakes, don't have a sleepless night. God is God everywhere. David said, I can't even make my bed in hell. Of course, prophesying. There you are. Is God in hell? Oh, yeah. He's there. But he's there. The only part you see of God in there is his wrath. You see none of his mercy there. In heaven, all you find is his mercy. That's why in a very simplistic way, here on earth, people, you find two people, this is the only heaven that person will ever have, the only mercy that person will ever experience. The other person sitting next to him, this is the only wrath of God they will ever experience. Because when they go to be with the Lord, there is no wrath. When the other one goes to be where he's going, there is no mercy. God help us. So as a covenant people, this is what God did for us. He created us as a covenant people. Every part of our lives is built around this concept of covenant. And that's what makes us a covenant people. And uh, so we have to contrast with... Um, With our employers or with those we do business with, however, our church life here is a tight weaving of covenantal bonds. If you imagine this, that uh, here in, a, in, in this corner of God's vineyard, we, we have marital bonds between husband and wives. That's a covenant made before God. We have 
familial bonds or covenants between parents and their children, the children that God gave them. We have covenantal bonds between brothers and sisters in Christ. And our entire belief system springs from the covenant that we have with God the Father, celebrated every time we receive communion as we did this morning. So we are, therefore, a covenant people. There are so many covenants that exist within this room. And just like a marriage relationship reflects Christ's covenant relationship with His bride and the church, so also covenant relationships within the body of Christ reflect God's commitment, reflects God's loyalty. So in other words, when you are committed to the brother in Christ that's going through a hard time, you are reflecting this covenant community that God has formed by making a covenant with the individual within that community. So in other words, when relationships are committed to one another, when they are loyal to one another, when they are faithful towards one another, and when they have love for one another, they are reflecting this covenant that He's made with us. As a matter of fact, every single thing we do, family, is a reflection of who He is and what He has done for us. And we stress the fact that marriage, the marriage bond, is God's design on the earth to reflect Christ in the church. But don't forget, before marriage was there, He made us in His image and in His likeness. Why? So that we could reflect who He was here in this earth. So everything we do is to reflect Him. And I want to bring that over to what we're talking about here, relationships in general. Your relationship that you have with the rest of the body of Christ sitting in these four walls, your brothers and sisters, is a reflection of God. Don't take your relationships lightly. They're not disposable. You don't treat them with no understanding. No, you treat them with love. And when you treat them with love, you treat them with God's kind of love, not Oprah's. God's kind of love, not Bon Jovi, right? But God's kind of love, which does what? Covers sin. That's what it does. It covers sin. God's kind of love, which does what? Reflects who He is, what He is like. You actually have to love people the way God loved you. People say, well, I'm so... I'm filled with the love of God and it overflows to everybody else. Well, how did God love you? Sacrificially. Well, you are not that part of love. I love people in a different way. I, I, <laughs> I love coffee and just chatting and like we only talk about the weather and but nothing else, you know, that kind of love. It's so funny, like I literally had to put Air One off, you know, Air One radio station I just can't do it anymore <laughs> it's like <laughs> uh, what did they say this morning Yeah, do you want to be closer to Jesus download this app like what <laughs> literally said it just like that do you want to be closer to Jesus download this app Air One always there for you <laughs> okay threw up in my mouth a little bit <laughs> I 
John 13, 35 says this, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. By what? If you have love for one another. If you have love for one another. What kind of love? God's kind of love. Yeah. So what does this covenantal love look like that exists between covenantal brothers, covenantal sisters within the church? Well, covenantal relationships are known for loving each other according to scriptures, as I mentioned. Covenantal relationships are people's response to each other because of the love that they've been loved with by God. So the way God loves them, that's the way they tend to love. The truth is we cannot love each other aright unless we first love God aright. Let me say that again. You cannot, I cannot love you the right way if I'm not loving God the right way. People have made loving people in general such a big um, emphasis has been placed on loving people when in fact the emphasis is loving God which will result in people loving people. That's, that's what enables and empowers you, allows you to love. Matthew 22, 37 and 39 says, and he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, and with all of your soul. Excuse me, the other way around. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, the point I'm trying to make here, if you look at that verse, is that the second commandment comes after the first one. The second commandment comes after the first one. As a matter of fact, the second commandment is dependent upon the first commandment. It is chronological. First, love God, and your love for God will spill over into loving others in the same way. Your love for God will empower you, it'll enable you, it'll inspire you, it'll equip you. You didn't know how to love until you saw how God loved you. So if a person does not love God with all their heart, with all of their soul and mind, they will not be able to truly love their spouse. They will, not able to, they will not be able to truly love their children with divine love, godly love. They wouldn't be able to love their brothers and sisters in the same way. That is why Jesus told Peter, Do you love me? Yes. Good. Then love them too. Do you love me? Yes. Then you can shepherd them. Do you love me? Yes. Well, then you can feed people. But oftentimes you get people who just want to share doctrine, scriptures and everything. And you go, do you love God? Oh, I love God with my, yeah, with my heart. But in their life, it's not evident that they love God. It's more about the argument. It's more about mentally ascending to different doctrines and why this is right and that is wrong. When in fact, you don't see them covenanting with anybody. Scripture says, love covers a multitude of sin. Why does your love cover a multitude of sin? Because that is exactly what God has done for you. He covered your multitude of sins. His love for you covered every single one of your sins. So I'm, 
becoming more and more aware of this thing that we actually don't really understand our sin. Becoming more aware of the fact that when we think of sin, we think of stealing, we think of lying, we think of adultery and cheating, we think of those things. And those are the big ten. Murdering somebody, we think of it, we think of it that way. But next week, I'm looking forward to showing you um, just how far we have fallen from the glory of God. And I'm not going to go through the doctrine of total depravity. I want to just show you systematically how you and I sin constantly. I mean, didn't we just read love God with all of your heart? That's a command, a question, or a statement? What is that? That's a command. Uh, do you love God with all of your heart? Do you love God as much as you should, is the question. Well, nobody can say yes. Right? Nobody can say yes. And that's just one aspect. But I want to show you how we literally consistently miss the mark. We, we depend on God's forgiveness constantly all day long. We, we don't, you're, not even your repentance for not loving him as much as you should is perfect repentance. <laughs> There's really nothing we do perfectly. There's no way that we hit the mark perfectly. But in all of life, we miss the mark and we need forgiveness. But guess what? His love has covered a multitude of your sins. And that's why he's calling you to cover other sins, the sins of others. Let me ask you this question. How many of you have experienced God's discipline for each and every single sin you've ever committed? How many of you have ever said, man, God, thank you so much that I'm not, you know, I'm not getting all the consequences for that decision I made, <laughs> right? Lord, I've made some decisions that if I got all the cons consequences coming my way, you know, yeah. Yeah, I'd be over. And, uh, <clears throat> but that's what he did for you. He didn't give you all the consequences you deserve. He says in Psalm 103, verse 102, I believe, he does not treat us as our sins deserve. He does not treat you as your sins deserve. Now, in the same way, God calls us to reflect that kind of love he loved us with by covering the sins of another. In plain English, husbands, well, let me start with the wives. Don't treat your husband as his sins deserve. That is how you can love with God's kind of love. Don't treat Alex as his sins deserve. <laughs> and she says, I, I won't do it because I need him to not treat me <laughs> as my sins deserve. 
And this is covenant love. This is godly love. This is how God loved you. This is how God is defining for us what it means to love. Do not treat your wife as their sins deserve. Do not treat your children as their sins deserve. Do not treat your brother in Christ or your sister in Christ as their sins deserve. Because God didn't treat you as your sins deserve. If you have an axe to grind with every single person and you want to take every single opportunity, you are not necessarily treating people the way God treated you. Right? Let it go. For heaven's sakes, let it go. Instead, God covered your sins with His blood. And now that you were loved by having your sins covered, love others by covering their sins with love. So in other words, I'm not doing it to protect the guilty. I'm doing it because it was done for me. My motive for covering sin needs to be connected to the cross. So the question is, the million dollar question is, how do I cover somebody's sins with love? When attempting to define something, it's very oftentimes easier to start by looking at what it's not. To cover sins does not mean you condone it. To cover sin does not mean you condone it. To cover sin means you respond in a redemptive way. Honey, I love you. There's nothing you would ever do or could ever do that will stop me or minimize my love for you. I love you enough to tell you I'm sorry I cannot go to this wedding. Because you remember back in the day they used to say, uh, is there anyone in the audience? <laughs> is there any reason as to why this couple should not be married? What are you going to do if you're sitting there? Like, I came with my gift. <laughs> I know one reason why this ought not to happen. I'd say, <laughs> don't go. <laughs> Save yourself. My point is, honey, I love you. There's nothing you can ever do that'll limit or minimize my love for you. And if you loved me, if you loved me, you wouldn't require me. You wouldn't demand that I absolutely violate my conscience before the Lord. But when the weekend's over, you and I go for coffee. When you have a birthday, I'm there. I'm in your life more than you want me to be. And I'm willing for that because you're not violating the grace of God by having a birthday. We're talking about what it means to love and what it means to cover. So we know that covering sin does not mean condoning sin. That is not what it means. But to respond to the sinner in a redemptive way 
So what does it mean to cover somebody's sin? Number one, you cover somebody else's sin by, by putting it away where it is not seen. That's what you do. You cover somebody's sin by putting it somewhere where it is not seen. When somebody's covered, when something is covered, is out of sight. If your wife sinned, And you now use the dirt you have on her as a means to win every argument from now on. You are not covering her sin. If a husband sins and you diligently bring it back to him every time there is an argument, you have not covered that sin. You're not putting it where it cannot be seen. You are putting it front and center. Remember seven years ago? 25 years ago. <laughs> if you treat your spouse, your child, or the church family as, as their sins deserve, it is a sign that you do not know God. You do not know God's love as you should. You do not understand the fact that God is not treating you in the same way. If you cover somebody's sin, it means that sin is out of sight. It cannot be seen in a way, that, in a way of treating that person accordingly. If you cover sin, it means nothing has changed in how you relate with that person who has sinned. I bet you in this building right here, in our church family, as small as it is, there are many relationships you have that you treat people, you honor them, you respect them, you build strong relationships with them, and if you have to remind yourself, you go like, oh yeah, I remember a couple of years ago, there was a rough spot there. I mean, if I'm looking across here and I'm thinking about our church family, you know, I think about where people come from. I have to remind myself where somebody comes, what somebody came out of. I have to remind myself some of the conversations we've had because I literally don't, I literally don't treat, you, treat a person based on the things that they are repenting from, healing from, trying to recover from. That's why it's so strange, it's so interesting, you know, when somebody's had an argument with you and then uh, a week later they come to church and it's kind of like you can see the awkwardness over them. With me, no awkwardness. That's why I tell people, okay, you know that thing we just went through? Put it in a box and then go bury it in the backyard. Just... Put it in there. Don't ever, don't let it live here. And I think that it's important for us to be able to continue in relationships, because some of the some of the greatest testimonies I have the privilege of being involved with are people that have come a very, very long road, and it's almost like that was a different life and a different person. And you need to allow, allow somebody to have a fresh start. You need to allow somebody to, to um, move on from where they're at. Move on from this place. Move forward. Because what the devil really wants you to do is he wants you to live in that, that time when you, when you broke down and you decided that nothing matters and you're going to do whatever you want to do and everything blew up. Like everybody wants to live there. No, no, no. This is a place where you start today, you move on. 
and people ought to be treated that way. That is what it means to cover sin. Put it where it cannot be seen. Now, of course, we're not talking about somebody who beats their wife daily. <laughs> Let me say it this way. We're not talking about that wife that beats her husband daily. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about people who are repenting, trying to move on, trying to move out of the house that's burning down. 1 Corinthians 13, 5. It, love, does not dishonor others. We're learning what it means to love, what, what it means to cover people's sin with love. It, love, does not dishonor others. Because there's a reason to dishonor them, but love doesn't do that. It is not self-seeking. In other words, I told you, you know, and you... This oftentimes, you know, when you start ministering to people, you, you get tempted with the prayer of the Pharisee. Lord, thank you that I'm not like them. Don't ever fall into that because love is not self-seeking. Love does not dishonor somebody because of what they're going through. It doesn't dishonor them because of what they've experienced. It doesn't dishonor them because currently they have a blind side, a blind spot. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. And it keeps no record of wrongs. That's the hardest one, isn't it? Keeps no record of wrongs. That's why I'm saying to you, like if you counseling somebody or you are helping somebody get through something, bring them to the place as quick as you can where you can say, okay, now let's move on. <laughs> let's move on. Because it keeps no record of wrongs. Love keeps no record of wrongs. If you are reminding your husband constantly of things he has done wrong, you are not loving in a biblical way. If you are holding past events over your wife's head. You are not loving in a godly way. So the first is you cover somebody else's sin by putting it away where it is not seen. Number two, you cover somebody else's sin when you cover them with a word. People sin because of ignorance, because of weakness, because of rebellion. And there's one way of helping everyone is a scripture. You know, like, if, if this scripture can't help you, then neither can I, because it's the best I've got. If this word cannot be true for you, then there's nothing I can do, because there's no other truth I can bring you. It's where I believe Alistair got it wrong. If this verse means nothing to you, then none of what I say means anything to you because this is all I have to say. Paul was very clear. He says, do not go beyond that which has been written. Don't go beyond it. You are not a better counselor than God. You are not more loving than God. You are not more compassionate than God. You cannot out-compassion him. 
oh, I know the Bible's very hard on this issue, but you know what? I would rather just love them back. That is compromising God's love because God loves with truth. Truth and love is the same thing to Him. Are you loved because somebody told you the truth or are you loved because somebody lied to you? Which way is love? People go like, I'm loved when I feel better, whatever they say. If it makes me feel good, I've been loved. That's what lies do, right? That's your enemy. Is the one, who's your enemy? The one that told you the truth or the one who told you the lie? Which one's the enemy? Proverbs 10, 12 says, hatred stirs up strife. But love covers all offenses. James 5, 20 says, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sin. 1 Peter 4, 8 says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. So what do I do? Or let me ask this question. What do I look like when I confront somebody's sin? What is this supposed to look like? Well, the first thing before you cover, or before you confront somebody's sin, because I don't cover it by not addressing it. I cover it by putting it where it cannot be seen. I don't cover it by condoning it. I cover it by putting it where it cannot be seen. I'll show you now why this is so important. But it always has to be addressed. The sin has to be addressed because you cannot love by just covering and not saying anything. You cover it so that it's not seen by everybody, but you for sure have to address it. So what does it look like when I address somebody's sin? The first thing I do is I go to the mirror. You cannot attempt to correct others when you yourself are needing correction in the same area. You cannot expect your kids to act any different from you. Stop shouting! Like... You cannot expect them to do anything else other than what you're doing. If you want to correct them, correct yourself first. Your children are going to act exactly the way you do. Matthew 7, 3 through 5 says, Why do you see the speck in your brother's eye, but you do not notice a log that is in your own eye? Or how can we say to your brother, or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take that log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So go to the mirror before you correct to make sure you are the one that first goes through, go through that ringer before you want to pull anybody else through it. Number two, follow Jesus' step-by-step conflict resolution strategy. Jesus gave you a conflict resolution strategy, okay? And it's found in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 through 17. It says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault. How? Just between the two of you. Remember, covering somebody's sin is putting it where, no, where others cannot see it. And Jesus directly, explicitly told us, you go to them privately. Verse 16, but if they will not listen, take one or two others along 
so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Now, if I take, let's say, for instance, um, there's somebody I need to go and speak with, and they cannot hear me for whatever reason. You know how easy it, how, a, a stranger will listen to you before a family member would ever take your advice. <laughs> it's like, oh, there he goes again. <laughs> Difficult to minister to family. But when you go to the second time, you bring somebody with that the person you're trying to speak to is more willing to listen to than you. So don't bring a person that's unrelated. It's like, for instance, if I had to come and um, I come to Tom and I said, Tom, I've got to talk to you about this thing. I'm bothered by what you said. And uh, uh, it's really a violation of God's perfect holiness, the way you went about that. And, and Tom goes like, uh, dude, get off my case. I'm like, all right. So what I'm going to do next is I'm going to find the biggest gossip I can find. And bring that person with me. That would be foolish, right? You bring somebody with that Tom may have a greater willingness to listen to. So Jesus says, verse 16, but if they will not listen to you, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Verse 17, if they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. That doesn't mean on a Sunday morning you grab the microphone and say, by the way, Charlie, last week... That's how you tell the church. There's no redemption in that. You go to the oversight in Charlie's life. You go to a person that's overseeing him, an elder. And then if he still refuses to listen to the church, treat him as, a, as you would a pagan or even worse, a tax collector. <laughs> I don't know, that just, just jumped up me right there. <laughs> so what does it look like when we confront others in their sin? Number one, we go to the mirror, we fix our own selves. Secondly, we go to them privately. That's how you cover somebody's sin, by putting it where it cannot be seen. Number three, then check your attitude. Galatians 6 verse 1 says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. You should restore them how? Gently. It's explicitly there. But watch yourselves. Watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. Watch yourselves or you too be tempted. There's an attitude that goes with you speaking to somebody. Now, as a covenant community, <clears throat> this is one way in which we covenant with one another. A godly relationship will stoke the fire in the other person, will stoke the fire of God's love or, or love for God. That's what a relationship does if it's from God. And that's what you ought not to look for, but that's who you ought to look to become. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word.
Lord, I pray that you teach us how to love. Teach us how to love one another. Allow us, Father God, to love from the from our hearts because we love you in that way, because you have loved us in that way. Lord, teach us to love the God kind of way because that is the love that conquers. That is the love that rises above the argument. That is the love that goes beyond and never wears out, is never exhausted. That is the kind of love that can touch another person's heart. That is the kind of love that the world will see us have for one another and then say they are the children of God because look at how they love one another. Thank you, Lord, for designing love in such a way that there is safety. Just like we are safely loved by you, we are safe because you loved us in the same way. May those in our lives feel safe because of the way we love them. And in that way, we glorify you and we reflect your love here on the earth. In Jesus' name. And all those who love the Lord said, Amen. Don't let me catch.